and welcome to Esoteric's podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of August 4, 2014. Join us this week as we visit with author David Boulay to learn about the orange and the dream of California, his new book, packed with juicy citrus lore. We'll also talk with Los Angeles City Councilman Tom LaBonge about his dear friend, Huel Hauser, and Huel's abiding legacy in the Southland. So stay tuned. Los Angeles. El Pueblo. Lotus Land. The City of Angels. The Day of the Locust. The Slide Area. Where all the fruits and nuts ended up when they turned the country on its ear. But you and I were born here. Don't mind a few oddballs in the mix. They add flavor. Growing up in Cheviot Hills, my compass pointed straight to Fifth and Main. As a kid in Hollywood, I was forbidden to take the bus to the Central Library. But I did it anyway. Because you've got to start at the center to understand this confounding and fantastic city. Which makes nonsense of history and breaks all the rules. Rainer Banham said that. He taught us well. In the 1980s at UC Santa Cruz, now on our tours and in our time travel blogs, we're continuing the conversation. Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles and Charles Bukowski's The Birth of Noir. Route 66, The Lowdown on Downtown. The Real Black Dahlia. Positive public space, endangered landmarks, forgotten lore, memory maps, mysteries, murder, the allocation of resources, the hidden forces that shape public policy, Skid Row, Bunker Hill, preservation, restoration, redevelopment, it's a four-letter word, Los Angeles, you can't eat the sunshine, but you can drive around and take a long, hard look, and listen to the stories, and pass them on. Why are we doing this again? Because we love the place with a passion that goes beyond sense or reason. So did Rainer Banham. So we did. Now let's begin. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long lost neighborhood called Hermina between Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of August 4th, 2014. This episode, we have interviews with author David Boulay. His book is called The Orange and the Dream of California. We'll also talk with Los Angeles City Council member Tom LeBonge about his dear and departed friend, Huel Hauser. The Pishka Maven, please take it away. Oh, I'll do my Pishka tap dance. Yes, Richard is asking me to tell you that uh, this podcast has a digital tip jar associated with it. And if you like what we do and you'd like to help contribute to help keep this crazy machine rolling through the Southland, you can do so by sending a PayPal donation. You'll find the link on the podcast page. It's never obligatory, but always appreciated. And when we eat a delicious Chili Rano burrito somewhere far in the hinterlands, we might think of you. Thanks. Kim, I take exception to that. We've never randomly pulled up to a place on our bus and said, Hi, we're here because our other location didn't show up and let us in. 
I don't think we're crazy at all. I think if people look at my schedule and my workflow, that, that I think you'd think that we were pretty pretty organized. But I know you meant lovingly that we were crazy. I think we're very <laughs> together and organized. I only mean the crazy adventures that we have while podcasting. Things are a little funkier. The, the bus is a well-oiled machine, people. I, I'm staring my, at my, my My work life is a well-oiled machine, Kim. <laughs> I'm staring at my husband with complete uh, horror because I've obviously gravely offended him. I'm obviously simply referring to times when he allows me to be the navigator. You'd be amazed. Richard's a good navigator. In any case, let's move on. We've got some great interviews this week and things to talk about. Okay. Thank you, Kim. And yes, yes, we do get really lost when, 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 when you're in charge, and I think that's, that's, that's part of the fun. All right, Kim, let's, let's talk about our closely watched trains this week. So we've got a lot, so let's get started. Um, Kim, I want you to talk about the photos from Hollywood, circa 1978, 83. They're very good. They made me cry. They made you cry? Oh, yeah, they kind of got to me too. Actually, 79 to 83. Um, I love what's happening with... Uh, social sharing of imagery. Uh, a gentleman named Matt Sweeney has started a Tumblr blog, and The Atlantic picked it up and po- posted a selection of the photos that he took. He was a high school dropout from Northern California. Somehow he got in- an inkling of the Zoetrope Internship Program, which I was actually a participant in as a junior high school student. Um, what, what I think a lot of people, like maybe people ready to drop out of high school in San Jose in 1979 didn't realize is that Francis Ford Coppola's Zoetrope Internship Program was essentially created to assuage the annoyance of neighbors in Hollywood who really didn't appreciate this long, derelict film studio suddenly coming back to life with a bunch of really go, go, go young filmmakers. So they, they created this internship program, which was the most uncoordinated mess you can possibly imagine. <laughs> but as, as opposed to life with us. As opposed to life, you know in our well-oiled machine. But, but for Matt Sweeney, um, it seemed like something he could do. So he came to Hollywood with his camera, and he wanted to be a Zoetrope intern. And he was really lucky that, obviously, they, he either never had the nerve to go knock on the door, or they just said, we only want you know 13-year-olds who we can push around, because he just went up to Hollywood Boulevard and started taking photos, inspired by all of the great street photographers of the 40s and the 50s. And he managed, well, yeah, it made you cry, right? He documented the Hollywood that I knew when I was first knew too, when we were roaming around Hollywood as wide-eyed teenagers just... Eating flannel cakes at Musso's. <sighs> flannel cakes at Musso's, right? What I love about Matt's photos, and, and we'll link to them with the podcast, and I'm, I, I just think everyone should look at them, and I'm very excited to see what else will come out. It's not his punk rock friends clowning around, although they're very sweet, and it's lovely to see the, these pretty young, bright-eyed girls in the Hollywood landscape. It's the oldsters. It's these beautifully dressed old people who were so much a part of the Hollywood that I remember. Just these uh, austere, refined, gorgeous people in the clothes that they had spent a lot of money on in 1952, and they goddamn well were going to wear them until they died. I mean, you will see sunglasses on old ladies in these photos that will make you want to reach out into the Tumblr screen and, and borrow these glasses. And uh, you'll see some really terrific signage and a very lively streetscape. But for me, it's, it's the old people that really, really got to me. That was something, it's always part of my Hollywood, and it's, it's really nice to see it captured again, so... Here's to Matt Sweeney. Thanks for finding all those old photos and scanning them and sharing them. 
Good job, Kim. Thank you. All right, quickly, I just want to tick a couple closely watched trains off just as we go. Metro has approved a pedestrian bridge at 2nd and Hope. This is that weird area that sits between um, 555 South Hope, that giant tower on Hope, which is now Bank of America. 333. Sorry, 333 South Hope, that Bank of America tower, and the Bunker Hill Towers. It's that weird area. Uh, the regional connector, we have a podcast about this topic coming up soon with Donald Spivak, but this is just more about fixing connectivity in this really, really weird area. And, and so that's, that's good. So we'll just, we'll keep track of that. And I'm sure something crazy will happen at, at the, the Broad Museum and we'll get, and we'll get to, we'll get to Kvetch about it. Uh, sidewalk closures, also another another watch train, um, and we'll, we'll keep track of this one. I noticed um, D-Link, the Downtown Neighborhood Council, downtown LA neighborhood. downtown LA Neighborhood Council, they have a lot of committees, and one of their committees about sidewalks has issued a, has, has officially raised concern about the, the 20 projects in South Park that are proposing sidewalk closures over the next 18 months, and I think that's a really good concern, and I look forward to the downtown Los Angeles Neighborhood Council, um, which is purely an advisory uh, position, uh, is making some progress with CD14 about not closing sidewalks. I think it stinks. I remember the 8th, Olive Street between 7th and 8th on the, the west side of the street was closed for like, is still closed. It's been closed for like two years. It's ridiculous. No, no, it's going to be fine because they're going to come up with this bike share downtown, so all you do if you want to go down there is you'll hop on a bike because you can take a bike lane, and then if you want to go into a store, they'll just watch your bike for you. It's fine. Nothing to worry about. Nothing to see here. I'm so excited. This is so great. Kim, construction crane has arrived at Blossom Plaza. Yeah, they destroyed the Zaha Madre. They can build whatever they want to build there. They destroyed the Zaha Madre. It's really sad. And you know what? I think that the water gods are angry, Richard, because we had a heck of a flood at UCLA. Unconnected with the crane arriving at Blossom Plaza? I don't know. Where's our Zahayero keeping an eye on things? We have no Zahayero. Just a quick parenthetical point on the flood at UCLA. And uh, still. What, what, what about what, what? Tell us what happened to this flood? Well, there was a giant water main break on sunset, but uh, the Zahayeros in the sky have a sense of humor. They, they sent all of the water down into the athletic fields. So. Uh, I was very, very anxious for a while when the news first broke because I was looking at maps and trying to figure out what was impacted, and I don't really understand the topography of UCLA well enough to know what's higher ground. And I was concerned, obviously, about special collections and the libraries and the archives and the films, and but none of that was touched. Um, just, just playing fields, cars, and I guess we can wait for the hepatitis outbreak because people were swimming in that crap. Wow. Kim, can we wrap this up by you relating to people that that special collections Twitter account did explicitly send you an update, knowing that you were concerned? Well, yeah, I tweeted about you know someone thinking the archives, and happily, I heard from a, a librarian who said that everything was fine. I heard from a couple of people who were um, aware of this situation, so that was a relief, and that's another wonderful thing about social media because I didn't see any of the reporters asking the the burning question, "What's going on with the actual priceless material at UCLA?" But um, I don't know. We're nerds. We care about Raymond Chandler's correspondence. Maybe too much. You know, I think if you'd been um, on the pep squad more when you were in college, you would have a better attitude. 
You went to Santa Cruz too. Just so everyone knows, the, the still singular no, no, graded. No, 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 don't, don't, please. It's embarrassing. Okay. Kim doesn't like pep squads. Um, Kim, let's wrap this up. Uh, our favorite intersection, Aliso and Maine, which is the Wait, north. It Arcadia? It's Arcadia, right. Our favorite, okay, Arcadia, Aliso, Maine Spring. It's this triangle. It's the overpass for the 101 freeway where the Baker Block used to be, where the Bella Union used to be, just down the street from the Wild West SRO where the old prospectors used to live. You're basically giving people 19th century directions. Can you give them 21st century directions? Aliso, Arcadia, Spring, Maine. The 101 freeway overpass just to the north of Olvera Street. Right. So this this overpass area has has become an encampment over the last two years, and Kim, there's been a, an update. Yeah, they've uh, done a cleanup. I was I was really wondering when, um, if at all, county or city was going to, um, well, if I say do something, you're you're going to read something into that. I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily bad that people are camping on the sidewalk if they have nowhere else to go. But I but I was surprised that it was such a prominent spot so close to Olvera Street and City Hall, and, um, you know, there's a lot of attention on this part of downtown now because there's this giant music festival coming uh, at the end of August. And sure enough, the uh, people who were camped there were asked to move, and they're doing a deep clean of the sidewalks. And for some reason, the cleaning, I guess, has already taken place, but people were asked not to come back for a week, but um, they're already back. I can't wait for Made in America. It's like my favorite festival in the entire world. It's amazing. They've magically created underground tunnels that the law library can use so that um, you know law students can access the stacks. They don't exist. Okay, Kim, one last watch train. This is, this is going to be a long one. Yeah. It's going to take a while, but I just want to put it on the table because I like to, um, to call these things out so they're, they're indicated some way in, in our online life so I can find them relatively quickly as as the years pass. So the Los Angeles Homeless Housing Authority, which is a joint task force between the city and the county, has announced in conjunction with the Los Angeles Police Department that it is is going to have a a policy shift and there's, there's a policy shift that mental health has been publicly acknowledged by this authority as a really serious problem on Skid Row, much more serious than any agency has hitherto acknowledged. The LAPD has agreed, and they're going to change the way arrests and outreach are done to people suffering from mental illness on Skid Row. This is a a really big deal. I don't have a lot of specifics, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I just want to quickly call out the major vectors and the major players, Los Angeles Homelessness Authority, Los Angeles Police Department, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department is, of course, another major player because they are tasked with that of keeping in custody the almost 22,000 persons that are held in custody in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department in their jails, uh, and also the Los Angeles County uh, Mental Health System. So they're, they're all, and, and of course, uh, the, the, the State Department of Justice uh, and the state corrections facilities, which were instrumental in bringing about AB 109. AB 109, this is a really important thing. 
where basically the governor said, okay, state prisons have to be clear, not cleared up, but dramatically reduced in population. This has had a huge impact on the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department and their jails. It's pushing a lot of people onto the streets, and I think in the next year a lot is going to happen, and we're going to have a lot to talk about. So just get ready, brush up on AB 109, California realignment. And Kim, is there anything I'm missing? No, you care. I appreciate okay. it. Let's okay. keep let's keep our eyes peeled and, and hope for the best. We've, we've got a walking tour coming up soon in October with the Union Rescue Mission with Reverend Andy Bales. So we'll we'll talk about this. I'm hoping that Senior Lead Officer Dan Joseph will join us for a little bit too. So we'll we'll just get some we'll get some updates. So let's move in to events, upcoming events. Okay, we've got we've got our our we've got our our lava salon coming up. In August, at the end of this month, we've, we've got um, we've, we've got our friend Sean, who's going to be talking about his his book about Central Avenue Jazz. Charlie Parker, it's, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. And our good friend Suzanne, who is now the librarian of the Star Sapphire Lodge, which is the local branch of the OTO, the Ordo Temp Soror Soror Lilia. Yes, Soror Lilia who is the librarian of the Star Sapphire Lodge, local branch of the OTO, Ordo Templi Orientis. Uh, she will be talking, Her the topic, the name of her talk is A Magical Life, and she's going to be talking about living her life as, as a witch. And it's, she's, she's so great. She's just, we've done a lot of events with her through LAVA, as, as if people keeping track know, with the OTO, the Star Sapphire Lodge. We look forward to more work with her, and I'm, I'm really it's it's going to be great. August seventeenth is Charles Bukowski's birthday party. It's a Sunday at Gats. Gats. The sixteenth is his birthday. The Saturday, the seventeenth, August seventeenth at Gatsby Books is their open mic birthday celebration in honor of Charles Bukowski's birthday. Okay, so on his birthday, you can do whatever you want, which probably involves flannel cakes. And then on Sunday, you get to celebrate belatedly with the poets. That sounds good. That's a lava event. It it is a lava event, and and Joan Job Smith and her husband Fred Voss will be there. Joan and Fred are two of my favorite people in the entire world, and Joan is a jo- Joan is the Bukowski chronicler. Okay, she's she's she was there, man. She really she's kept track of everything. Nothing escapes her. So, and then uh, I think we have. Uh, one last, Kim, just because we're excited to wrap up the events, tell us about your October 4 new bus tour. My first new crime bus tour in five years. Yeah, I got the itch. We're getting it back together. We're getting it on the road. It's called the Echo Park Book of the Dead. It's not just Echo Park, though. It's Echo Park, Silver Lake, Angelino Heights, a little bit of Elysian Valley. And it's a really grim bunch of tales and and some weird ones because, hey, it's Echo Park and it's me. But if you uh, like to frequent those neighborhoods or, God forbid, you even live there, maybe at a crime scene, you better get ready because these stories have a way of permeating out into the consciousness. You know, I tell them on the bus, people take them out, they share them, they grow, they change, they get back, they get attached again to the locations that they were lost from. And Richard, um, I, I haven't told you this, but it's it's a weird feeling knowing that, you know, I kind of get to play God with these people's stories. These stories that have been forgotten for 50, 60, 70 years, I get to decide which ones get to come back 
it's it's a big responsibility, but I, I'm I'm taking it very seriously, and I'm I'm finding some great stories. I've been holding a lot of them back for for many years that, to write this tour anyway. So stay tuned. October four. Hope to see you on the bus. Kim, I don't know why at, at your your twelfth, let's see, your eleventh crime bus tour, you've you've decided to ask these questions, but God bless you. I do. We wrote the others in an absolute frenzy, hotter than a pepper sprout. I didn't have a chance to think. I was just writing, writing, writing. Now I actually get to muse on what it means to put someone on a crime bus tour, put an address there. I guess I just have too much time to think. It probably is dangerous. Kim, you, you, you don't have too much time to think. You have, you have just enough time, and, and you should be happy that I make dinner. So let's move into the interviews. We're going to interview David Boulay first. We're going to interview Tom LeBonge second. So I will introduce Tom LeBonge now. All right. Tom LeBonge. Tom LeBonge is a Los Angeles City Council member. He represents the 4th District. He is in his third term. He has served the 4th District since 2001. Uh, he began his political career back in 1970. Uh, well, the salient beginning of his political career was in 1978 when he became deputy chief for John Ferraro. John Ferraro, longtime president of the Los Angeles City Council, longtime member of the Los Angeles Athletic Club, an adamant handball player. Uh, really, you, 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 cannot, you cannot pass through the men's locker room or the, the, rack, the, the, the courts uh, in the Los Angeles Athletic Club without thinking of John Ferraro. Uh, he was Ferraro's deputy chief for many years. This really, I think, is where he got his teeth. Uh, and then in, in 2001, he, he was elected. We're going to talk to him about his dear and departed friend, Hugh Hauser. And, and this, is, this is a very good interview. Okay, Tom is very articulate, and it's a great subject. First interview is going to be with David Boulay. David Boulay has written a book called The Orange and the Dream of California. Angel City Press has, pub has published it, and it is a really great book about citrus fruit and Southern California. And I, I don't think in the interview, we, we didn't cover in the interview we're, we're going to go into right now, we didn't cover the notion of the, the 1916 fair in Riverside, but he did talk about it the other week at our at the lava talk he gave. And Kim, do you just want to tell people about them, I guess, taping the oranges? To I don't know if it was tape, and it wasn't just 16. It was an annual citrus extravaganza. I'd seen photographs from it, but I didn't realize that this was basically like an attraction along the lines of, of a county fair, but it was all citrus themed. And they would build these conveyances, these contraptions, these interiors, these fabulous concoctions, and somehow attach citrus fruit to them. I don't think it was tape. It must have been some sort of special orange glue in any case. It looks completely delightful, and they were very, very popular, and um, I don't know why. Well, I guess I know why they stopped. They, they convinced everyone. People love oranges. They don't have to market the orange anymore or California. They have to keep people out now, and, and, and they don't have enough oranges to go around. So that was the end of the citrus fair, but boy, it was fun while it lasted. And, and let's be glad that Google pays their state tax bill. And with that, let's take it away with my interview with David.
Dave, Dave, I'm here with you. We're at the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books. We're here to talk to you about your book. To do that, you need to properly introduce yourself. My name is Dave Boulay. I'm the author of The Orange and the Dream of California, just out from Angel City Press. Perfect. Okay. Uh, Oranges. California. Go. The orange has a romantic past. The California, since it was discovered by Europeans, has been a place of dreams, as a place where you might reinvent yourself, where you could live a healthy life, where there was a natural abundance. And when the orange came to California, it became a symbol of all of those things that for 500 years California had represented. Good. Okay. Um, tell us, give us some chronology. California and the orange, get a timeline, uh, ground zero. For uh, industry, yeah, ground zero as an industry. Let's go. And I know we've got some amazing things to hear about at the very end about that. The, there were no oranges in California naturally uh, or in the Americas. The orange all the, orange, all the citrus that we know today originated in Southeast Asia. It has the sweep of history. It goes uh, to India, from India to the Middle East, from the Middle East into Europe, and from Europe to the Americas. Uh, the first oranges, the first citrus of any kind, were brought by the Padres when they came from uh, Baja, California to Alta, California in the late 1700s. The first orange grove of any size was at Mission San Gabriel. And the first commercial orange grove in all of California uh, was at what is today Fifth and Alameda Street. It was, uh, uh, as with most things in California, it took a foreigner to see the potential. It was a Kentuckian named William Wolfskill. He moved here in the 1830s. Uh, he bought some land. He planted a lot of different things, not sure what was going to take. He had grapes. He planted the first commercial um, uh, citrus grove, orange grove, with uh, cuttings and seeds that he got from Mission San Gabriel. Uh, he was the first to see commercial potential. Everyone else who was growing oranges was selling them locally. He thought, San Francisco, that's the big town. I'll ship them there. The gold rush came. Um, he became an extremely wealthy man. Uh, and his son, John Wolfskill, is the first person to ship a carload of California oranges east to St. Louis. Good, 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 good. Um, can we talk about refrigerated cars? I know we just, we, we, I think we just, let's, let's get into that. You just started. Sure. Fit, fit, bring us up through World War II with refrigerated cars and oranges. The uh, the uh, original shipments they they well hold on just a minute for the enthusiasm. I think it's a I think it's a poetry. I think we're in the midst of an impromptu poetry slam. People to applaud yeah. poetry. I think we're in good shape. Um, the uh, citrus uh, travels uh, uh, oranges uh, travel um, amazingly well. Uh, one of the first things that commercial growers learned was that they had to carefully pack them and so there became a science to wrapping each orange in a tissue and packing them in a certain way in the crates and then they could travel for weeks at a time and arrive on the east coast where the population was at the time and and still look beautiful and taste good um, however of course uh, uh, ice um, refrigerated cars first with uh, with ice and then um, mechanical refrigeration came along at the turn of the last century that revolutionized things um, and um, then in the 50s um, uh, wood crates uh, went away and they were replaced by uh, cardboard crates we lost the tissues around everything and that's that's when that happened that's when that happened yes yes 
Let's, um, we were talking about the murals in the Sunkiss building at, uh, on 5th Street, just, just, uh, across from the Central Library, the 1932 Walker and Eisen. 32 or 33? 32, 33 Walker and Eisen structure. Can we get a roundup of important Sunkiss buildings from you in addition, in addition to that one? I, if, if only because those mur- that building which has now gone, the murals survive. Okay, so one, let's just give us give us some sense of Sunkist as a actual building in in Southern California. In 1893, um, the railroads had changed the way they were buying oranges, and uh, it became the growers' complete responsibility not only to grow and pick and pack, but they bear the responsibility for the shipping of it. So it became a very, uh, these were called the red ink years. Uh, the growers, large and small, were losing their shirts uh, because they just couldn't make any money uh, uh, when the, the cost of transportation was brought in. So uh, one of the things I think most interesting about the California citrus industry is that the people who came out here in the late 1800s, many of them were very successful, but not in agriculture. They were lawyers, doctors, business people, and many of them came to California uh, for health reasons. Um, But they had this business acumen, and they also had a history of cooperation. So when they faced challenges, they looked to solve them in a cooperative manner. And in 1893, they met at the Mott Building uh, in what is still downtown Los Angeles, about 100 growers. They had a very heated discussion, and they agreed that they would um, uh, create an organization called the California Fruit Growers Association, and uh, they would cooperate on picking and packing and shipping of their fruit. This later, uh, later their advertising agency, Lord and Thomas, coined the name Sunkiss to represent the highest quality of their fruit, and then eventually that became the brand that we now know, one of the most successful brands in history. And so the orange had become a brand uh, worldwide. Um, Then in the 1930s, uh, Sunkissed the cooperative, uh, purchased land and uh, and built a beautiful Art Deco building at uh, 5th and Hope. Fifth and Grand. Fifth and Grand. Fifth and Grand. And, and, and before you continue, I just want to put my own two cents in. This building is gone. It rivals City Hall. Uh, this, this, I mean, this building, like, really. This it was, was a, a really, it's the missing piece of matzah because it's gone. But when people think about classic L.A. modern design, this, they did it. It, it was a beautiful building. Um, Fifth and Grand, right across from uh, the Central Library. Um, and in the boardroom of that building were three very large murals um, which survived. The building was torn down when um, in the... 1971. In 1971, thank you so much. Um, and Sunkiss built new corporate headquarters in Sherman Oaks. That building is uh, very representative of um, mid-century modern, kind of an inverted pyramid. Uh, yeah. The... Uh, the uh, the boardroom there uh, has uh, the, the murals. They survive, and they represent a very romanticized uh, view of the development of citrus in California. Perfect. You did it. You did it. Okay. Um, tell us again about your book and where we can get it, and then you've got two fun-filled facts about citrus that sure. you're going to leave us with. 
Um, again, I'm Dave Boulay, and my book is The Orange and the Dream of California by Angel City Press. It is available from angelcitypress.com, as well as Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and wherever fine books are sold. Perfect. And, and the fun-filled facts? And the fun-filled facts. In 1895, the, uh, the Riverside, California per capita income was four times that of the average American, and that was all due through the growing of oranges. And in 1920, in the state of California, the number two generator of revenue behind only oil was oranges. It was huge. Dave, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. My name is Jenny Watts, and I'm here in San Marino at the Huntington Library, and you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. Tom, Tom, I'm here with you. We're in your office at City Hall. I want you to properly introduce yourself and tell us why you are so well qualified to tell us about your dear friend, God rest his soul. Well, Hugh Hauser was a friend to everybody, and uh, I early on met him when he was at KNXT, now KCBS. He was uh, doing features there, and uh, everybody loved him because he was this new kid, really, in Los Angeles. And uh, I called him up and said, I want you to come to Griffith Park and do a story about Charlie Turner. Charlie Turner was the honorary mayor of Griffith Park, and he preceded Dante Orgolini, who created Dante's View. In 1964, did Dante. He lived on Edgemont, and he came up to the park. Two things you need in life, water and relationships. Well, the park department had the water, and Dante knew how to make relationships, and they punched a hole in the main water line, and with the water brought Dante's view. Uh, Dante Orgolini passed in 1978. Charlie Turner was his buddy, his first lieutenant. In 1978, I was then 24. I came back from uh, a trip to Europe. Uh, I had gone on about an 11-week trip. You know, over there in Europe, they like to drink, they like to eat, and they like to smoke cigarettes, you know. And, but then they always take a hike and a walk in a forest, like, before they go to bed. So I, when I got back to Los Angeles, I committed myself to walking every day and uh, gave up some of the bad vices that I may have had. But I still walk to this day. That's where I met Charlie, and then that's where I called Huell and got to him because I did work for the city then, you know, and sometimes the city, somebody from the city calls, they pick the phone up. So I remember uh, the announcers talking about Huell hiking in Griffith Park and now he put him out of breath as he hiked up there with Charlie Turner, who was like in his 80s. And I guess Hugh was in his 30s back then. And uh, it was a wonderful story. And from that grew more and more activities. He came to our house. Uh, my mother loved him in, in our house at Silver Lake, and he'd come a few times for our big family uh, meals. I got a lot of sister-in-laws. I got seven brothers, my wife Bridget. So uh, that was always remarkable when he would, would come and join with the family because he was somewhat of a private man, let me tell you. You know, it wasn't like he was always out there. I know I uh, did a couple things that helped him in his life. I, Towards the end there, like three or four years before he passed, I took him to, of all places, he had never been to a crossroads of the world. And all places, Love crossroads of the world. Yeah, and so did Huel, and he moved his <laughs> office there. But you, you'd think he would have been there, you know, like yeah. one of the first places yeah. that he had been there. Uh, a number of times he came to the hikes up in Griffith Park over the, you know, 35-year uh, span. And uh, he, uh, remember in 1984, he did then a, a report. 
I'm trying to think if he was still with uh, KCBS because he did like he was talking back to the desk. You know how they do that yeah. on the yeah. or KNXT. He said, "Hey, I'm up here and uh, you know with all the people here and uh, the Raiders had just won the world championship uh, and we just had the Olympic Games and Mike Haynes, the great Raider, was there with two of his kids. Now the kids are in his 30s and holding him and he and he got excited because he liked football and uh, meeting you know all pro football player was fun." Uh, and all the other people that we met along the way. He loved Pink's hot dogs. I'd see him at Pink's sure. a few times. He loved Musso Frank's, you know, and uh, I'd see him there, you know, a number of times. He would call me, but then also he would straighten me out if I talked too long <laughs> or uh, gave him too much information or gave him a tip that he didn't want. You know, I think there's this guy who cuts the tree upside down. You know, Tom, I'm not interested in that, you know, or whatever the case may be. So... He was truly very, very special, a uh, very private man when he did get ill. I know yeah. his uh, very close friend, who I again introduced him to, Tom Gilmore, you know, the, yeah. the man who led the way to redevelop downtown. They all told me when he did pass, no uh, memorial. And I got that. Right. But I said to myself, it's not for Hewell, it's for the people. And yeah. we organized this where I think 3,500 people came up, maybe more. Oh, yeah up to the top and of uh, uh, Mount Hollywood to the historic observatory and we saw the sunset and it was truly a remarkable moment and for all the people and it's still to this day occasionally I bump into people in the city and they thank me for organizing that and I think it was good and even some of Hewell's tight friends said okay you did all right LeBonge you know because we didn't we didn't make a mockery of it we didn't make it we just said Let's talk about this great human being who came our way. Because had he not come our way, we would never have seen uh, California as we see it today. And I think there's, uh, there's an effect going on right now as someone who is working with neighborhoods. Uh, there's always an effect. And uh, there's all the tourists, both from near and far. Yeah. I'll go to an area, and there's a GPS has changed the ball game, But... Uh, uh, Double H changed the ball game. That's Hewell Hauser yeah. and uh, California Gold, because people now participate in their communities in a natural way. He did the story about the Hollywood sign, which gets replayed. Yeah. Someone says, "I want to come. I want to see that." He did the story of hiking in Griffith Park. I want to see that. They even run something. Uh, I think it was 1998 when Tennessee won the national title in the college football. You know, he was from yeah. Tennessee, yeah. so I was then working for Mayor Reardon. And uh, I invited him to see the sunrise this time, you know, because it's so pretty in December because it's a equinox that the winter solstice, excuse me, that the sun is at its furthest point south. Yes. And we got up there early, and he couldn't believe what the city looked like. There was no inversion, uh, and it was fun to take him on that hike uh, and capture that. But that was also right after Tennessee won the national football title. He was working for KCET. And then uh, at, uh, at some point when he would replay it, because I congratulated him, because I, if you don't know, hike with a football, but I uh, congratulate him. And, uh, but he now runs it without the reference of congratulations to Tennessee. But I still carry the football, because this year people came up, well, you're the guy with the football, right. you know, because they see Hewell and do that. A number of times we'd see him in Palm Springs and his home. Uh, up in, uh, not in Palm Desert, but the other home he had up up 29 or whatever it is up in uh, 29, Palms. Uh, 29 Palms up above. And his interesting art. He liked steel. Occasionally I'd give him an old 
railroad uh, tie or something that we had in some city yard they were going to throw out. Uh, but I remember walking in uh, Palm Canyon, Palm Canyon Drive, right there in the heart of Palm Springs, and it was well past dark, but anybody who heard his voice knew his voice. So people would come around, turn around, walking down. We'd be talking. He'd just be talking. And then he'd turn around, and he'd always say, well, I'll talk to you, and, you know, and say hello to somebody. But everybody loved him, loved him, you know. So uh, we really lost an angel. Uh, in the City of Angels. Uh, uh, they don't make shoes big enough to fill what Hewell Hauser has done. I'm glad his work continues, and I hope they uh, continue to uh, orchestrate it properly as he would want it. So God bless the memory of Hewell Hauser, our dear friend, and, uh, and we think of him every day. Perfect. Tom, I need you to properly introduce yourself before you go. Don't be bashful. Oh, like property. My name yeah. is Tom Labange. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, born in the Queen of Angels, old hospital there in Silver Lake, 1953, October 6th. I've worked for the city since 1976, and uh, I love the city of Los Angeles and its people. And as a council member, I try to help everybody. But I can't always get what you want. But if you try hard, you get what you need. Did Mick Jagger said that? I'm sorry. I was just getting Mick in this interview. I hope that was it. You want a more formal no, one? that's perfect. Take I got it. Okay, good. Do you know Exile on Main Street? Yes. The album, it's Main Street, Los yes. Angeles. You know yes. that, don't you? You know that. You do a story on that, that's worthy. Hard, hard, hard Rock Cafe, yes, yes, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah Hard Rock Cafe was yeah. at Fifth and Wall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and Mick and his boys got exiled from England. They did it in France. It was, I want to say a bad word, crappy sound. They had to come out here to Sunset Sound, I think, on Sunset Boulevard, but then they were down here on Main Street, and the rest is history. That's a Hewell Hauser for you. Hewell, I'd love to see Hewell and Mick talk. Wouldn't, you guys, wouldn't that have been something? Hewell Hauser. Well, Mick, how many, how many times have you sung Satisfaction now? You know, and then, uh, you know, Mick would with his English accent. I don't have a good English accent, but, uh, but they would have loved each other because they're both inspirational. Tom, thank you thank so much. You. Thank you. My name is Irving Grainis. I'm here in the back room warehouse of the Angel City Brewery in the Los Angeles Arts District, and you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine. And we're done. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of August 4th, 2014. Our guests this week were author David Boulay. His book is called The Orange and the Dream of California. And we also spoke with Los Angeles City Council member Tom LeBonge about his dear and departed friend, Hugh Hauser. We like to hear from you. We like feedback. So, Kim... Before we get into upcoming bus tours, why don't you give us a little primer, as you do every week, about the feedback loop. Okay, so what you do is you take your Fender Duo Sonic and you turn up all the knobs as high as they go and you lean them against the amp and you walk away. And the feedback will be fantastic. That's not what you mean, is it? No. No. You can send us an email to you can't eat the sunshine at gmail.com or through the contact link at www.esoteric.com. You can join us on an esoteric bus adventure or one of the free lava events that we host, like the Lava Sunday Salon and the walking tour that follows, or one of the forensic science events. We have one coming up in November. Yeah. That's a ways away. Yeah. It's always nice to hear from our listeners, and uh, I think you know what to do.
All right, Kim, thank you. That was that was good. Kim, you're going to bring us home. We've got uh, our list of upcoming bus tours. So, and, and we'll end with your new crime bus tour on October 4th, Echo Park, Book of the Dead. So bring us on home. Okay, we've got some great tours coming up, and if you've been wanting to get on the bus, this might be a good season to do so because it's a real variety. Uh, we have a literary tour on August 9th. It's Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles, a tour of downtown and Hollywood locations that really still exist in this perfect early 20th century amber. For now, you want to see them while you still can, and I think this is probably going to be the last version of this tour that will take place before the publication of my new collaboration with Paul Rogers, the Art Deco-styled map of Chandler's Los Angeles, which is coming out from Herb Lester in London. And, oh my gosh, I'm so pleased with the way this has turned out. It is a truly beautiful, beautiful map. Um, so... I'll tell you a little about it when you get on the bus, perhaps, while Richard tells you all about Raymond Chandler. On August the 16th, we have uh, the first in a series of the California Culture Tours. It's Boyle Heights in the San Gabriel Valley, the hidden histories of L.A.'s melting pot. It's a mixture of stories of uh, immigration patterns, architectural delight, cemetery inhabitants, and Christmas trees and mysteries. It's beautiful and, uh, I think, Really contextualized neighborhoods, and of course we'll be visiting Wyvernwood, which is a garden court apartment of, of yes, Richard, you want to? Rigo's going to get on the bus. Oh, Rigo's going to get on the bus. Fantastic. We're going to be talking a lot about what's going on at Wyvernwood. Beautiful garden court apartment complex. Um, if, if it were on the west side, there would be lines to get into this thing like you wouldn't believe. There probably are still lines to get into it. It's very special, there, very there beautiful. Are lines to get into yes, it. and it's endangered because an out-of-state developer called Fifteen Group, which is not a great developer, they they're the people who knocked down the coffee table over on Rowena right. and then decided not to actually build the uh, mixed-use residential and retail space that they had uh, planned to do. They just left a vacant lot, took away a great cafe. So they're jerks. They're from Florida. They want to tear down all of Wyvernwood and put up high-rises. It's part of this whole, you know, bring the arts district into Boyle Heights plan. There's money to be made, all right, but there's a lot of vacant lots on the east side. Buy one, people. Leave Wyvernwood alone. I love what the people in Wyvernwood are doing. They're, they're becoming... Um, they're becoming activists in a way that the people of Chavez Ravine and Bunker Hill were denied because there just wasn't the ability to reach the community, the wider community, with their message at that time. Now there is. And it's really cool to see a neighborhood fight for its life, and I, and I, I really believe that why everyone can make it. So it's one of the things you'll learn about on the Boyle Heights and San Gabriel Valley tour. Um, the Lowdown on Downtown is August the 23rd, and that's a tour that is constantly changing, as downtown is, too. But if you want to understand how downtown got the way that it is, how it fell so far and is coming back, and all of the many players and policies and mysteries and secrets within, that's a good bus to get on. Hotel Horrors and Main Street Vice is a crime bus tour of downtown. It is on August, September rather, September the 6th, and that one of course is filling up. Always a very popular tour about low-rent entertainments along Main Street and murders in the hotels and some beautiful, beautiful hotels we'll see, too, and nary a murder, I promise. It's Weird West Adams on September the 13th, a tour of crime, architecture, and cemeteries, as so many of our crime bus tours are, and also a little bit of um, social, social justice. 
Gotta throw that in there. Eastside Babylon is perhaps my most unhinged crime bus tour until and unless Echo Park Book of the Dead supplants it. That is September the 20th. That's the tour where we uh, talk about the Night Stalker and the Radio Shop murders and uh, Mothers Run Amok. Very weird stories on Eastside Babylon. Kim, your Echo Park Book of the Dead is a fantastic tour, being aware of the crimes. I can I can say that it's in some ways your greatest tour, but nothing will rival the unbridled horrors of East Side Babylon. Nothing. Sorry. I know. I I I, <laughs> I, I I'm not gonna hurt my little East Side Babylon tour. I'm gonna keep it my most unhinged crime bus tour. But it's also the only crime bus tour and the only one of our tours where we visit the tamale, the building shaped like a tamale, which is a preservation crisis, a constant preservation crisis, and and one of our current causes. So come and learn about the tamale and some slaughter along the way. Pasadena Confidential is September the 27th, a tour about rocket science, black magic, presidential assassins, mysterious sphinxes, and so forth. And this is one of the rare editions of that tour where Crimebo the Clown will not be joining us. So if you have a morbid fear of clowns or you simply don't want to get a little grease paint on your cheek when he kisses you, this is the tour to get on. All the crime, none of the clown. And we finally end with... Kim, what's happening two hours after you give that bus tour? Oh, yeah. um, West Hollywood reads noir at the West Hollywood Park Library. It's a big day of noir, and I'm going to be racing across town to participate in a panel on Femmes Fatale. So that should be fun, and we'll get that on the lava calendar soon. And we bring us... We, we can't give you a ride with us, because the car's full, but maybe people will, will, will make what? the track. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, there's plenty of time. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm the one who has to decompress and have a burrito you can just head over there echo park book of the dead is october the 4th and we'd love to see you on this debut crime bus excursion i promise there'll be some thrills and chills and surprises and you'll get to see sister amy semple mcpherson's bathroom the most beautiful bathroom in southern california perhaps the world that's my list and i'm sticking with it thank you kim thank you for bringing us home all right i want to thank everyone for listening i want to encourage you to continue to listen And I want to remind you, you can't eat the sunshine. You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long lost neighborhood called Hermina between